Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thanks for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is John Burke. And if you're not familiar with John, John runs a website called Perfect Vocals Academy. And on that website, he helps people with their vocal recordings. And in this chat, we have a great conversation all about recording, editing, and mixing your vocals and getting them to sound pro. And there's obviously a lot of steps involved in this process, right? Obviously, from getting things right at the source to then the multitude of tools and ways that you can edit your vocals, and then obviously polishing it up in the end with your mixing. And we really cover the whole range here from beginning to end when it comes to vocals. So I think you're going to find it very, very helpful. There's obviously a lot of questions when it comes to things like which tools should you be using or what order should you be processing your instruments in and that kind of stuff. So we really get into a lot of those questions so that if you've ever wondered, you know, should I be using Melodyne or Autotune? Or should I be editing timing versus pitch first? If you've ever wondered those kind of things, we're going to address them in this interview. So yeah, I think you're going to find this episode super helpful if you've struggled to get your vocals sounding good, or you're not quite sure what processes you should be taking to make them sound tight and in tune and polished up. Yeah, you're going to get those answers in this episode here. So let's just jump right into it. John Burke, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. What's going on, man? Hey, man, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. For people who might not know you or your background and how you got into music and how you got into production and all the cool stuff that you're working on these days, can you give us that story? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I go way back. I used to be in a metal band when I was like 16, touring. And then after that, I started recording just a ton of bands uh, in, in a studio in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, did that for a number of years. Then I opened my own spot uh, kind of outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and just got a bunch of... Uh, more bands and more solo artists. And now to this day, I am mainly working with, you know, lots of solo artists. I actually, oh yeah, I skipped a part. I went to Nashville for a couple years uh, from 2018 to 2020 and did some networking down there, worked out of a studio with a guy named Sean Giovanni at the record shop. It was a nice, really awesome studio. And uh, yeah, now I'm back in Ohio. Um, that's where home is for me. And basically just work out of my home doing mixing and mastering full time. And then I also have my YouTube channel, perfect vocals Academy, where I teach um, recording engineers and people trying to do this themselves. I don't try to limit to one or the other, but uh, anybody that's interested in getting really good at audio engineering, I put out weekly content on my YouTube, I have an online course and I just started doing some coaching stuff too. Awesome, man. So you mentioned that you were in a metal band and you did that. And now you're kind of focusing a little bit more on the singer songwriters and that kind of thing. How did that transition happen for you? Like, what, what do you think it was that, that made that shift for you? You know, it's funny. People say like the market chooses you. It's, it's kind of true. I mean, I don't know. I had a studio outside of Cleveland and Cleveland does have a lot of rappers. So it's probably, was probably my location that kind of got me into it in a way so, you know, one rapper decided to book some time and then I did a good job on it. And then they went and told 10 of their friends and then they told 10 of their friends and it's just it snowballs from there. And uh, pretty soon I was just doing a bunch of rap and then some singers started coming in a lot of more like I'd say more urban singers, uh, R&B, stuff like that. I definitely have done some pop, though, as well. But uh, but yeah, 
everybody just starts coming from word of mouth and then it just happens like that. And at the same time, I think bands were kind of starting to record and mix themselves a lot, at least in the genre that I was doing. I was doing a lot of hard rock metal to where there's drum samples and direct guitars. And, you know, if you think about it, if you're a band and you can sit there and sit in your own practice spot for hours and hours getting things right, it kind of makes sense in a way instead of paying a studio and having a limited amount of time. So I think that kind of, at the same time, was kind of happening to where I was getting less bands um, in the niche that I was doing bands, at least at the time. And then all these solo artists started coming in. So, and to this day, I'm still doing a lot of solo artist stuff and some bands here and there. Yeah. It's funny though, because, you know, you would think that the singer songwriters, like the solo artists would actually have a much easier time doing it on their own because it's just like one person and usually a lot less gear, you know, like you're not miking up yeah. drum kits and stuff like that. But, but, but you're right though. I think, I think they're, they're actually, I guess the thing with being in a band is that there's more people doing it and you can collectively come together to, to make a sound happen, you know? So you figure it out as a group necessarily, like you figure it out as a group, uh, not as necessarily just like one person. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of people aren't very good at doing vocals. And then, and then that's why I made my whole Academy is, you know, pitch correction can kind of be, uh, you know, foreign to people, uh, editing time, getting a good, you know, mic placement, a, a good, like, you know, recorded sound without like a ton of room in it or something. I mean, there's just so many variables, whereas guitars and drums and stuff. Oh, cool. Superior drummer. We got some cool sound and drums. Uh, uh, this pl- guitar plug-in. Oh, these are great tones. And you're just kind of like effortlessly getting it. Whereas vocals, every singer is different too. So it's like what might work for one guy doesn't for another. This mic, an SM7 might be amazing for this vocalist. And then this vocalist sounds not so good. So there's just a lot of variables, I think, with vocals, so which makes it hard for people to do it on their own because that's like the main focal point. You know, everybody's like, if that vocal ain't hitting, then <laughs> you know they don't want to they don't want to release it. You know, absolutely. And you know, I, I f- sometimes feel like it's hard to tell someone, like, it, in, as far as the teaching side of things goes, like it's hard to tell someone how to record vocals. Like, I always just feel like vocals are easy in the sense that you know, I just put up a microphone and someone sings into it. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and I, I guess I have that experience to know which microphone is usually a good choice for people. Right. But like yeah. for someone learning it for themselves, it can sometimes be a little difficult to find the right setup, you know, to find that, that right mic and, and to, like you said, have like the right environment for it. And, you know, it's very different if you're working in a home space versus a, like a, you know, treated room, that kind of thing. Um, so it does take, you know, I do think it does take some experimenting, experimenting to, find the right microphone for people. Like I always tell people, like if you're just recording vocals for the first time and you're thinking about buying a microphone, like rent 10 of them, you know, (laughs) try them all out first, see which one sounds best on your voice. Like, you know, don't be looking at the price tag or whatever, you know, and if it is an expensive mic that sounds best, just keep renting it. You know, it's probably cheaper that way. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to tell someone how to record vocals just because of that. Like there's so much variance in like the rooms that they're working in and, uh, the equipment that, or the microphones that might be best suited for their voices, right? It's like, there's certain standards when it comes to like a drum kit or a guitar cabinet or something like that. You're like, okay, cool. I'll put a 58 or a 57 on a guitar cab or a snare or whatever, you know? Uh, those things like are tried and true things that always work. Whereas vocals can be a little bit more picky sometimes, right? Yeah, it, it can be. And then tuning, I think the most, the most hardest part from so many people is getting the tuning right. Uh, Cause you could, you can get a good take, but once it's against the the chords and everything, our ears can really hear those fine little details of like being 10 cents off here, 20 cents off here. And 
it just like doesn't sound right. And a lot of people don't really know how to use Melodyne properly or, you know, it could, it could be kind of surgical. That's, that's, I love that about Melodyne, but I'm also kind of like, you know, I could see how this is hard for people to do on their own. Cause it, you're like surgically cutting up a blob, bringing it up here. And I mean, you can just do the correct pitch macro thing, but it's not going to get everything. I mean, it's, it's just going to kind of get you ballpark most of the time, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that the editing side of things is definitely much more challenging in my opinion than, than the recording side of things. Like yeah. Once you, once you have the sure. right equipment for recording, it's fairly simple. But from that point on, every performance you do needs to be edited and depending on the song and the way you perform that, like there's a lot that goes into the editing side of things. So that's definitely something I want to dig into today with you. Um, because I know that you focus a lot on that. Um, and, and I think you brought up a really good point there too, of, it's not just about it's not just about learning the tools, right? Like Melodyne or Autotune, that kind of stuff. It really is about fine tuning your ears to hear pitch differently, or to hear oh, yeah. like just the way your your muscles, your mouth work, you know. And <laughs> and, and and it it is it's like in a way it's like learning EQ, where like you just have to train your ears to like identify what this thing sounds like and how to fix it, right? Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah. So so let's talk about editing. Like when it comes to the editing side of things, after someone's got their performance. Where is usually the first place that you would start editing? Uh, usually first, I'm kind of just doing some cleanup before I get to the pitch stuff. You know, I mean, just cutting out some lip smacking and some breaths here and there, or or at least reducing the breaths and stuff like that. But yeah, normally I'm going to pull out Melodyne first. Um, either that, sometimes I vocal line, you know, with the layers. Um, it really kind of depends. Sometimes I do it before pitch, sometimes after. I don't really think there's really... Uh, a better way, but both ways can work. So vocal lining, getting rid of noises, and then also, yeah, scanning it into Melodyne. Um, but I did mention to you before the podcast that I do use auto-tune um, in graphic mode as well sometimes if I want to really get precise or want a really clean sound. I have found that with Melodyne, because you have to get so surgical with it, it's... Uh, a little harder and more time consuming to really get those, those smooth, like held out notes with stacks, harmonies, you know, like if somebody's going for that really clean, like pitch perfect sound, but yet still natural. I like to do it with auto tune, not with auto mode, but in graphic mode and just draw it in. And it's so easy. You just swipe a word. And then inside of that box, there's a retune speed that's set in the settings. And it's like one swipe. And then you got like a whole held out note, just perfect. Whereas like Melodyne, you might have to like chop up that one held out note into different blobs and, you know, it could take three or four times the amount of time. But like I said, I love Melodyne because a lot of times people are not singing real clean. You know, they got some grit in their voice. They got some character behind it. And autotune is not very good for picking up that stuff. If there's like a, like Dave Grohl, you would not. You would not <laughs> use autotune graphic mode because every time he hits that that gritty note, autotune is going to be like, oh, what is that? There's like no line for it. It's just like a it's like a squi- uh, squiggly line or something. Like it's it doesn't pick it up. But but Melodyne can. It you could take like a really gritted out note and and still put it on pitch. So that's you you really need both. And I teach that on my channel and stuff that I I really like to use both. It's good to have both in my opinion, but I could get by with just Melodyne if I really wanted to though. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you brought up a couple really interesting debates that we could talk about. And one being the idea of, um, timing, editing, timing versus tuning, you know, and which one do you do first? 
Um, and and you did say that it, there was kind of a it doesn't really matter to some degree, but I'm sure it does. Like, what, how do you how do you decide? Like, is there is there like what is your typical process there? Like, do you have one that you go to first usually, or I think more or less I usually pitch correct first. But if somebody's layers are just like really off, it can be hard uh, tuning, let's say, the double vocal. If I'm tuning the double vocal before I align it and the doubled vocal is like way off, it can be hard to see how those two vocals go together. So mm-hmm. so in that case, but if, the, but if somebody has really tight doubles, then I'll probably just do it afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Because if you're if you're trying to stack up layers of vocals... It, it certainly makes sense to edit for timing first because you want things to sound tight. And then when you edit things or when you edit the tuning of things, it's going to, it's all locked together already versus like you've tuned it. And so you've manipulated the sound there. And then if you try to stretch something or, you know, compress it or whatever, like you can, you can really hear those artifacts sometimes. Right. So, yeah, for um, sure. I think that is a really good distinction to make of like where you would use one versus the other, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and like, like you said, too, it really depends on the uh, the performance itself and how you know tight or loose you want things to be as well. Yeah. 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 And sometimes nudging the vocal before you vocal line it is a good thing to do. I mean, you don't want to if the vocals stack is really off, there's no sense making vocal line stretch it and do whatever it's doing in its algorithm. You can a lot of times just simply nudge over the double vocal to be almost there and then vocal line it. And then it's like, it barely did it. And then you're probably not dealing with artifacts and stuff. Absolutely. So then, then you also kind of brought up another good point of like Melodyne versus autotune. And that's kind of like the, the vocal editing debate of choice, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, which tool do you <laughs> use for what? Um, yeah. And, and I think you brought up a couple of good points there too, but like the, the app different uses for each of those, right? Like, is there, like, do you, you said, do you typically use autotune, more as like a kind of almost like a speed thing. It's like a faster tool to use for speed. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and Melodyne could maybe be a little bit more in depth. It's a little slower, but maybe it has more functionality to some degree. Like, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Melodyne, you could do way more with, I mean, there's been times to where somebody was singing a harmony and they were like singing a third harmony. And then they went to like the, the minor second or whatever. And then I'm like, uh, no, that's gotta be the third. So I literally would raise it like a full step and it works. It doesn't even change the, uh, the, uh, you know, format too much. And then obviously you have the format tool in Melodyne to kind of, uh, play around with that if you need to, but yeah, you can change notes. Whereas autotune, if you change like a whole note, it really starts to sound funny, like really funny. It, it's, uh, a completely different thing. So I really only use autotune with really good singers. Um, Good singers and singers that just want that perfect sound. And that's basically where I draw the line of, okay, I want to use autotune because this is a good singer and they want it. You know, if you're doing something like a Dua Lipa or just like something that's like just a perfect sound with a really good singer or something, like I would go with autotune for that for sure. Because I think autotune makes it so easy to see what is perfect, where it's like when you highlight on that line, it will retune speed like perfect whereas melodyne there's kind of like just a big space and there's no really re- it's kind of like 
in this whole space is the note. And there's kind of like room to be a little bit off. It's it's weird. I don't know if you agree with me or, or know what I'm talking about. Totally, because yeah, in Melodyne, you've got like the blob itself and then you've got the little squiggly lines and those both represent something different. Yeah, you know, like exactly. The, one is like the note itself, like the blob is the note and then there's like the delivery of the note is the squiggly stuff. So if you're seeing that like all over the place, then you know, you're maybe seeing that they hit a word sharp at the beginning and, and then even out. Or, or so you really have to get surgical with it usually. I mean, it's, you know, you know, and then if you use the pitch modulation tool where you like straighten out the line in Melodyne, then you're kind of turning into that auto-tune sound, you know, to where you're, you know, it can work sometimes, but if you just go through all the words and just start flattening that squiggly line that you're talking about, now it's going to sound like you threw auto-tune on there. So it's kind of like you have to chop things and move things and, and really get in there. You got to really dig in with Melodyne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing I've noticed with autotune, like I don't, like I said to you before, like I don't really use autotune too much myself. I, I definitely am more of a Melodyne guy, and I think that's just because I'm more comfortable with Melodyne. And yeah, it may be slower in some respects, but I just know it well enough that whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm quick and I'm quick at it. But um, but I do think that the thing with autotune that I've noticed is that it does have a mind of its own sometimes, you know? And, it does, yeah. And for that reason, that's one of the reasons why, like, I haven't trusted it enough, you know? But but I also think that a really important conversation to bring up when it comes to, uh, to auto-tune is how you're using auto-tune or which version of auto-tune you're using. Because, you know, I think a lot of people will just use the the very basic version of it, and there's so many functions in there that are missing from the pro version, you know? So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was wondering if you could maybe talk a, talk a little bit about that and, and how they all differ and, you know, why you might want one versus another. Yeah, I believe the pro version is the only version that, that you can draw in, I think, unless unless they have some other ones you could draw in now. But but yeah, pro is definitely the one you want. It is pricey, but uh, with pro, that drawing feature is, is huge. And, you know, I would say I do use Auto-Tune more in auto setting just, you know, after Melodyne just to kind of clean things up with like a, not a super fast retune speed, just like somewhere a medium setting uh, for certain things. But I would say that Auto-Tune Pro is, I think it's worth the money, you know, just for those certain singers. And then when you get to those vocal stacks, I mean, I I think that's the main thing is, you know, sometimes I'll get people to send me stuff to tune, like some producers that I know. And they send me a stack of like 20 vocals that are all harmonizing for a chorus and like a, a pop song. And it's it's so much, it's a way better workflow for one. And it's, I guess I should say, it's just more pleasurable to to work on something that large with something like Autotune Pro to where I could just be swiping words like, okay, you know, that's a hell dot note, boom, swipe it, swipe it, swipe it instead of having to get surgical. But as far as like a, a main vocal, almost all the time I'm pulling out Melodyne. If, it, if there's not a million vocals, or you could even do Melodyne for the main vocal and really dig in there, and then all those backgrounds speed up your workflow and, and get that really clean tuned sound for auto-tune. Because background vocals should kind of be more tuned, I think, than a main vocal anyway. Just like that nice pad in the back of like, you know, like instruments, like a keyboard or like, synths and stuff you know you know background vocals should be very clean with the pitch so you could even do something like that so that's a nice combination between the two yeah that's a that's a really great point that you bring up there and it's something that i definitely agree with and believe in that like you need to tune your background vocals a little harder than your lead vocal um Mm -hmm. and to me it's like 
it's not just because it creates that kind of like padded sound or it's not because like you're just trying to tune those vocals for the sake of like making them sound robotic or anything like that. It's, it's more that like it makes the lead vocal stand out above the background vocals. It, it definitely does kind of make the lead a lead vocal and then everything else is just support for it. Uh, and, and I think that when you think about why we have background vocals to begin with, it is just to, to support and be in the background, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're not trying to make like eight lead vocal tracks there that are all fighting each other. So uh, you definitely want to have that important thing in the center. That's your main focus and everything else is just, you know, backing it up, I guess, you know? So, yeah, I think that that's a, a really interesting thing to bring up. Um, and it's funny too. And, and, you know, again, this is one of the reasons why, like, one of the reasons why I love, love doing this podcast is because sometimes there are differences of, of experience and opinions. And, and, you know, you were talking about how you like using auto-tune for doing background vocal stacks because you find it to be a really fast workflow. And I'm actually the opposite in the sense where, like, I love Melodyne for that because, you know, with, with the Melodyne editor, like, you could see all of the background vocals in one shot. And to me, like, that's just like, once you've got your lead vocal tuned up, I find that it's you can just like snap your background vocals to your lead super easy. And like, you don't even have to be, almost be listening for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess all that to say is just like, the more we talk about these tools and the functions that they have, like either of them is great, is a good tool to use. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, they, they all have basically everything you need. But I think that having the, if you're going to be tuning vocals and, and treating this seriously, it makes sense to invest in like the top version of it because mm-hmm. you're going to get all of the features that you need. Yep. Um, yeah. And and that's something that I feel you know, as a you know someone in your position who's doing a lot of vocal editing like if you're going to be treating this as a job and you're going to do it for real like invest in the tools cuz these are these are investments, you know. Yeah, yeah, you don't want Melodyne essentials cuz then you're sitting there waiting for a tool to change, you're you're moving the mouse around to, to get the tool to change to to the tool you need and it's, it's just it's Makes you go crazy, you know. So. Of course, yeah. Like some some people are just like trying to be cheap about it and be like, "Oh, there's, I can find a workaround or whatever." And it's like, well, you're probably gonna spend more time on the workaround than, you know, if if you just have the one tool that did everything in one tool, like it makes your life so much easier. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt the same way even myself. Like with um, with uh, Vocaline when I first got it, you know, I just had like the basic version and for years that worked great. And then when they came out with Vocaline Ultra, I was like, oh shit, like I don't need to now Melodyne all of my background vocal tracks. I could just do the lead one, use Vocaline Ultra. It's going to snap things to place. It's going to adjust the tuning. And like, to me, that was a shortcut that really helped save a lot of time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, sure. you know, if you're doing it seriously, you're also looking for ways to work fast and find your workarounds, yep. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So as someone who does a lot of vocal editing, we've obviously talked about Melodyne and Vocaline and, and uh, Autotune. Are there any other important tools that you think a vocal editor should have? Yeah, I, I use, um, what is that called? Waves D-Breath. I use that. I use Isotope D-Click and Isotope D-Clip. So D-Clip, sometimes people send me stuff where they're distorting their interface and you know, yes, I could always ask them to resend it or resing it, but you know, half the time you ask them to do it and then it comes back the same. So it's, you know, some people just don't a hundred percent understand. So declip can kind of make it to where you're reversing that clipping that happened, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, but it does work and I've used it many times. Um, and then isotope declick 
sometimes uh, with interfaces or digital, you'll hear those little digital pops or digital clicks or uh, sometimes even if the singer says like the letter K like really hard into the mic and it just makes a spike, uh, de-click, you could just go through and just literally get rid of all those little pops, all those harsh clicks. I use that a lot. And then uh, and then waves deep breath. Um, you could easily, yeah, you could go through and, you know, clip gain all the breaths down or ch- chop them out or automate them. But what I like about deep breath is once you set that to a certain spot, it can like reduce the breath like a ton, but you can still hear it. So you're not really like chopping it away. And like I said, the same thing works with clip gain, but for workflow, it's it's quick for me. I, I just like deep breath, highlight over all the little breath spots and then reduce them because nine times out of 10 breaths are like, <gasps> You know, and it's like, and it never usually sounds good. Um, by the time you got compression and EQ and excitement and all this stuff going on, it's like those breaths are just cutting. So I would definitely recommend those three plugins for editing stuff. And like I was saying, I put AutoTune Pro in auto mode sometimes after Melodyne just to kind of fine tune and, and, and get some stuff that I might have missed, you know, or... Maybe something's just a, a little bit off. It can really give it a smooth sound, but I don't do it for all singers, but uh, hip-hop, pop, that's mainly the stuff I'm working with nowadays. So that stuff just needs to be clean, needs to be like right on the money. So Absolutely, yeah. No, those are some great tools to, to consider because, yeah, a lot of people tend to focus more on the just timing and tuning, but there are all of these other little factors that can really destroy a vocal and... You know, yep. all of those things you said there, the clicks and all that stuff that does get in the way and it makes it very distracting for a listener. So you have mm-hmm. to deal with all of that stuff. Um, and I also like that you mentioned that you do sometimes have both Melodyne and Autotune in the same chain. Um, and that's even something that I found, too. If, if you're ever in like a tight time crunch and you don't have the time to, you know, like do a super detailed edit of a vocal, sometimes like I've done, I'll, ha- I'll do it the opposite order where I'll have like Autotune just going very, very lightly and then I'll feed that into Melodyne just so that like it's cl- it's already in the ballpark and I just can quickly grab the the problematic areas, right? Yeah, it works that way too, for sure. Yeah. And but also like AutoTune has that sound to it, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah, like, it does. So so it does have a, a certain s- certain element to a certain character to it that you know sometimes is the sound you're going for. So you, you know having it last in your chain can definitely give you that character, right? I think just so much popular music, that sound is there. I mean, you think Post Malone and Doja Cat and just all these huge artists that people like our clients that we're working with are looking to them. Like they they say, I want to sound like that. So so it's, it's like, you know, that's where I like to try to give them that sound, you know, and you really have to kind of have auto-tune for certain sounds. So Of course. You also brought up breaths, and I think that that's a really important conversation too because there is a lot of debate about whether you should keep them or not. And so, mm-hmm. you know, do you, do you find you, you kind of said that you, you tend to just clip gain them or you'll use a deep breath tool, but you're not completely getting rid of them, right? Like what's your philosophy on getting rid of them versus keeping them in there? I try to use just my best judgment. There are certain ones that I feel like it just sounds good without a breath there or something, you know, once in a while, but I don't think I, I don't think I ever just go through and cut every single breath. It might just be certain ones that I feel like I try to put myself in the shoes of the singer. Like, does it make sense to do that line? And then this little line here without the breath. And if it kind of makes sense to me, then it'll make sense to a listener. If there's not a breath there, if that makes sense. So sometimes people are taking too many breaths, you know what I mean? 
instead of just having that control, you know what I mean? And your diaphragm. So, um, so sometimes they completely are gone. And then a lot of times I'm just reducing them a lot to where once they're all the way through the compressor and, and all the things in your vocal chain, it's just very subtle. It's not, it's not super loud. It's not just as loud as the, the vocal. That's just never a good sound. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the compression can really bring out those vocals. It brings like, them out hard. Yeah, before you have that compression in there, you might not notice it. But once you're like, you know, especially with a lot of heavier rock stuff, people are slamming their vocals through like an 1176 and, you know, yep. like 15 dB of compression and that kind of stuff. And then like, yeah, you're right. Like the the breath just becomes just as loud as the lead vocal. And, you know, the last thing you want to hear is like, <gasps> you know, like yeah, between yeah. all the words, right? <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of high mids in a breath. I think that's why it makes them so cut cutting because it's just like, it's like three and four K just like cutting your eardrums like half the yeah. time. So, yeah. And you did say that like you could use something like clip gain instead of deep breath, right? Yeah. That's still more or less going to see the same sort of results, right? Yeah, same results. It's just, you know. Little, little more work instead of just clicking because I use uh, deep breath, you know, from Audio Suite. Instead of just clicking, highlight and click and ren- render, you're highlighting and taking your trimmer tool and trimming down the gain line. It's similar, but it just seems quicker and, and more effortless for me, at least, to use deep breath. Absolutely, and also I think, you know, depending on the positioning, uh, the placement of these breaths, that can really determine how extreme you want to go with it, or. You know, like maybe maybe you do cut cut the breaths at the beginning of a phrase when maybe there's some silence in there. You know, you want the vocal to just hit hard on a certain certain note and not have the breath preceding it. Like there, there's you have to be a little strategic about where you want to preserve those breaths and where you need to cut them so that things do sound natural, I guess. I think yeah, I think I cut them a lot when two vocals are overlapping. So you have one vocal going and then this other one starts back here a little bit. Like say somebody just overlapped their vocals, like the lead like carries a little bit. It doesn't really make sense to have the breath on that next one coming in because I don't know, it's it's just underneath of the main vocal that's already going before, if that makes sense. So I, I chop those a lot. That makes um, sense. But yeah, in a in a dead spot to where it's like it just drops out, it might be intimate and cool to just have like a, you know, and like it just might be cool. So you really can't just cut all the breaths, but you can definitely use your best judgment. You know? For sure. Yeah, I guess there is no standard way of doing it. It's like what's going to give you that feel of the track. You know? Right. Because, yeah, that like you said, that breath sometimes is an intimate sound, which makes the art or makes the listener feel more connected to the vocals and and mm-hmm. you know so if you can preserve preserve that feel then that's what you that's ultimately what matters right definitely yeah what about with background vocals and breaths like do you find we talked about tuning your background vocals harder than your lead vocal do you find that you'll de-breath the background vocals more as well yeah i'm almost yeah i'm almost always cutting them all because especially when they line right up with the main vocal now you're just multiplying the the volume of the breath because you're just stacking a breath um so yeah i'm almost always cutting breaths in in background vocals i i would say probably 85 90 percent of the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah and again like you know it's just like we were talking about earlier where you're you're making a lead vocal be the lead and you're not hearing these stacks of breaths that are making you know just getting distracting and and you know clouding up the clarity of the of the lead vocal yeah, yeah. Even the double track, I think I'll I'll either get rid of the breaths or just turn them way down. That way they're not, you know, that way you just have that one breath 
with the with the main vocal. It just makes it stand out, like you're saying. It just it makes it stand out from the rest. You know, your focus is on that. Mm-hmm. What about with things like plosives? How do you how do you typically deal with those? Um, usually just a little a little cut before it, like just uh, in Pro Tools, cut before it, and then put a little fade in, just a, a tiny little fade. Usually that works. You can try to clip gain it down, but normally just a little chop before it, chop that little space before it, and then do a, I think the command is D, I think. You just place the, on the keyboard is D. I use a command focus mode all the time. I love it. Just single letters. Like, um, whenever I open a session and somebody has command focus off, I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> I have, like stream, I have a stream so deck cool. now with so many macros and like it drives me nuts when I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just a quick fade, you know, takes two seconds. Usually, usually gets rid of a plosive pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that makes sense if you have a, a plosive that starts at the beginning of a word, but if you have something that's in the middle, sometimes that can be a little bit more challenging, right? Yeah. You know, I think I might've used, yeah, I think I might've used to click on that type of thing. That plugin I told you about, I think there's a frequency slider on that where you can make it to where it finds clicks in more of a mid-range instead of like high frequencies. I think it's called like uh, random something. I don't have the, the thing in front of me, but something about random frequencies or it's got like a slider. So you can play around with D-click by Isotope and sometimes that can give you some decent results with something like that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, another really handy tip that uh, one of my buddies showed me was... Um, even just using automation on an EQ and like a high pass filter. Like oh, if yeah. you just if you automate the high pass filter and you just crank it for that split second that you have a plosive, sometimes that really can take care of all of that low end buildup that uh that gives you that kind of like that kind of sound, you know. Um Oh yeah. Automating EQ is very, very smart. I've done that a million times, just in so many different reasons for it too. Like you can just automate an EQ for a million reasons. Yeah. That's yeah. a great point for sure. For sure. Um when it comes to things like editing a vocal, do you think people should be like if editing a vocal as far as timing goes? Um, do you think people should be stretching their vocals or should they be nudging them? Like, is there a specific order that you would normally recommend people follow first? I'm a nudge guy just because, you know, a lot of times somebody has like a certain flow, and once you start chopping it or stretching it, it can kind of throw off the flow and it might be good to us, but then by the time you're giving it to them, it's like, Oh, my vocal, you know, my flow is different or something. So, so now you're getting a revision out of it. So I like to kind of play it sort of safe and literally just slide their take. You know, it could be like a two bar section to where you can noticeably see that it's off by, you know, it's behind the beat. Cause I'm looking at the grid and I could see that everything's kind of off by kind of the same amount. You do run into those scenarios to where it's like it's it's behind and then it's rushed a little bit and then but you know somebody that's really kind of off within a small section, you know then you can kind of mess around with Elastic Audio and Pro Tools. But uh, I'd say nine times out of ten, somebody's off like evenly. You know they're on time with themselves, but they're either rushing the beat all by like an even amount, or they're behind the beat by an even amount, and it's just a simple nudge. And you can see those transients just start to lock in right when you right when you nudge it. So I try to nudge first, always nudge first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, it's, to me, I think that, you know, usually I'm trying to comp the vocal to be as tight as I can. And then, 
you know, I'll usually nudge the lead vocal to make sure that that's exactly where I want it to be. And then I feel like sometimes going back to this whole lead versus background debate, you know, it's like sometimes when you have the, the background, vo- once you know your lead vocal is exactly where you want it to be, then you can get away with like stretching out your vocal, your background vocals a little bit more because yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to be as noticeable and you're just locking them exactly. to that main lead. Right. Um, oh yeah. And, and do you typically use vocal line for that kind of thing or are you still nudging to, to line the backgrounds up? Yeah, I use vocal line, but like I said, if, if the backgrounds are like kind of far off, I'll nudge them first and then I'll vocal line. So I'll yep. nudge first almost all every time. Yeah, makes sense. What about with things like background noise? Because, you know, at the beginning we, we were talking about if you're recording in a bad room or, you know, you don't you don't have that isolation. Like what kind of stuff are you doing to control the background noise problems? Um, I used to use this plugin called uh, SPL Dverb, which is a really nice plugin. But um, I don't have that anymore because I updated my system and it was like an older plugin. But I uh, use Isotope, what is it called? Denoise or, yeah, it's the same with like D-Click and D-Clip. It's uh, Denoise and you can literally get rid of uh, some of the room. I, I, I wouldn't say I love it, love it. I used, what did I use? I did a trial of a plugin. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was one of those like D D reverb it wasn't SPL D verb, but it was uh, a different one. There was a really good one. I just can't remember it off the top of my head. And that one was so good. Like it, uh, I didn't buy it, but I should buy it because <laughs> it took like somebody's voice. That was just like, sounded like they were in a big open room with a bunch of flat walls and hard surfaces. And it pretty much took it away. Like I'd say 80% of it was gone. So it made it, know way easier to mix so the those d d reverb plugins i guess you should call them definitely uh are worth the investment for sure and and i think you do kind of going back to like what we were talking about with trying out different microphones to find the one that works best for you it's like a lot of these like noise removal or reverb removal plugins there's so many different ones out there and I think you really have to just try them all to see which one works best for you and your workflow and which one is yeah. the most effective. Right. Cause, cause mm-hmm. some of them I've, I've, I've definitely run into um, situations where those plugins just completely make something sound like it's got some weird mod- modulator on top of it. And, you know, you hear all yeah. these artifacts and stuff like that. Um, but I, you know, I think if you're, if you're working out of, if you're working on your own music and you're working out of a room that maybe does have a lot of background noise, like finding the tool that's going to ultimately remove that noise properly is mm-hmm. definitely an important thing to to experiment with. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you're always going to want to, you know, just record it right. You know what I mean? But so many times, like I said, you'll, you'll be working with a client. I'll be working with a client and they'll just, you can try to give them tips. I mean, I've told certain, there's certain clients I have in my mind to where like they always send me stuff and it's just, I hear their whole room and I've, I've tried to give them <laughs> tips and then they say that they do it. And then the vocal, it just sounds the same every time. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's like, it, you know, you need the plugin because you can't a hundred percent. I mean, that's how it is. When you do a remote business, you don't have complete control. So you control what you can control. And of course, and that's, that's why I like, those like D reverb type of plugins. I probably will invest in that one that I can't remember. I, I, all I got to do is Google and it'll pop up and I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the one. But yeah. Well, I saw that. Um, I think it was two days ago at the time of us recording this, that uh, universal audio had just recently put out a, a noise remover 
as well. And I, oh. I, I have to check it out because um, I'm very interested in it because like the idea of like even just even be able to record it in real time with with your Apollo, that kind of thing. Like I think that could be super helpful for oh, a lot yeah. of people. Um, you know, because that, that that's cool. One of the benefits of the UAD systems is that you can record with those plugins. So, I mean, yeah. if you know you have that problem on the way in, then deal with it at the source. I guess you know. Yeah, <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah, and then Waves has that one. I think I tried it. I don't really uh, clarity or something like that. I'm I'm not sure. I didn't really play with it too much, but um, but that other one that I can't remember, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look that up and send it to you and put it in the show notes or something. Of course, yeah. <laughs> You, you talked about, you know, trying to help out your clients when they're recording their vocals. Like, what are some of the general tips that you would tell, tell someone to make sure that they're capturing a, a pretty solid vocal? Uh, Yeah, just don't don't put your preamp too hot. I mean, do the loudest section, you know, if it's the chorus, you know, do the chorus and, and make sure that your level's going up, like, maybe three quarters of the way up. Um, So many times I get that clipping sound and then i gotta you know use plugins and i don't love to do it but it's kind of like your hands are tied you're just like okay he's either got to re-record this or i gotta get rid of this distortion that is now now on the vocal so that i definitely encourage like getting a great level um for people at home i suggest like a dynamic mic just because then you don't have to deal with the room nearly as much like a sm7 or just something that's not a condenser because condensers pick up everything. So um, sometimes that could be such an e- way easier fix. Just get it, get a dynamic mic. Um, maybe put a little barrier up, you know, even like one of those uh, mic shields from Amazon or something around the dynamic mic and just very quiet room, no fans going or, you know, furnaces kicking on or, you know, you know, just find a nice <laughs> spot and, do the best you can. I give them that advice. And then, uh, I also tell them as far as, uh, you know, punching and stuff like that, try to just get like whole lines, you know, I mean, you can try to punch words, but it's sometimes it just complicates things. So I try to tell people like, Hey, just get a few, a few takes of like a line and then, you know, we can comp it later or, you know, stuff like that instead of focusing on just, one word or two words, you know, just try to get the flow. So I try to encourage to get a nice, uh, flow going. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, those are all great tips. And I think to, to add to the, um, the topic about like adding one of those vocal shields, like, I mean, at the end of the day, no one listening to your track knows how you recorded these things. Nobody's like watching a video of you unless, unless you're recording it and putting it on social media, I guess. But, but, uh, but at the end of the day, like no one really, hears or, or by by listening to your tracks they're not able to say like oh you use like a blanket behind you or something like that like you can get as ghetto as you want yeah to like you really create isolation right like <laughs> i've definitely uh had recording sessions where we like i remember in college like my roommate and i we used to just like throw our mattresses together and like make little vocal booths out of that you know like yeah. there's you can you can like sing in a closet stuff like that like will will help you to control a lot of those reflections and just you know give you a tighter sound so exactly um, I mean, you can yeah. go, you can go as cheaply as doing something like that. Or if you want to go the expensive route and, you know, buy all the shields and proper treatment and all that stuff like that. I mean, depends on what you can afford and, you know, what, what sound you're going for, I guess. Yeah. It's a good point. I agree with that. Yeah. What would you say are, um, like, obviously we've talked about recording, we've talked a lot about editing, but like, what would you say are some of the most common mistakes that you hear people making when it comes to editing their vocals? Well, first thing that comes to mind is 
listening to people that like do like hip hop and rap and stuff. They'll just put auto tune on and crank it and let it just kind of and not and not put the key in and let it hit bad notes. I think that's one that's one of the biggest things. You know, somebody will send me something and and I'll be like, "Yep, I can help you out because I'll tell you that vocal is just hitting all sorts of wrong notes." Because <laughs> I mean, because I think some people think like just because it's got an auto tune sound on it, it's it's done and that's good. But auto tune can just throw you to to bad notes or notes that aren't in the melody. So that's one thing I definitely. I definitely hear, and sometimes even smaller, smaller time studios that are starting off, like you'll hear their work, and you can you can hear that they they really didn't uh, pitch correct it, which is why I have that video. One of my videos on YouTube is Melodyne into Auto Tune because if you want to just throw Auto Tune on there, that's cool. You know, you can have that hip hop sound with the hard Auto Tune, but you know, Melodyne into it to fix it from going, you know, sour, and also set it to the right key. I mean. <laughs> You know, which Autotune did make uh, auto key, but even that is a little hit or miss because there's been times where I've tried it and then it told me a key and I'm and I bring out my keyboard on my phone and I'm like, no, that's not the key. <laughs> so it, even that, I mean, learning how to find the key, I think is huge. You know, just find the unison note and that's and then the third interval is if it's sounds sad, it's going to be minor. If it sounds happy, it's going to be major. It's it's really that simple to find a key of a song, but um People complicate that. I think they think, oh, a key. How do how do I find the key? Oh, that's music theory, you know. But it's really <laughs> just you use your ears, you know. You know, find the yeah. unison, find that note. The unison is that note that just you could just tell it, it works over the whole progression. You're just hitting it, you, and it just works, and that's that's your unison. It's the only one that's going to sound right played the whole time, you know. Of course. No, I think that's a really, really good point that you brought up there. And it's something that I've even noticed myself, like with with a lot of my students, too, is like I'll hear those kind of stray notes that just are totally not in the key. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I just, you know, I just put on Melodyne or I put on Autotune and just didn't think anything of it. I just started editing notes. And it's like, well, when you know the key of the song, the tools work in your favor. Like they're going to snap things to the right notes and like make it, (laughs) make it so much easier. You're not just guessing at which notes, right? There's so many people that don't understand the theory and and I'm one of them, you know, I'm a drummer. I I never learned music theory. Like I learned enough of it in college to like kind of have a sense of it. But like, to me, like I'm not like most people that can name a note and like hear it in their head, that kind of thing, you know? Um, But, you know, a tool like auto key is a great tool for someone like me yeah, who who doesn't sure. necessarily know the key but wants to know like knows that you got to feed the tools the right thing right you got to feed them the right key and that makes your job easier so right. um I would definitely recommend that anyone who's maybe uncomfortable with identifying the keys like get just spend the I think it's like 40 bucks or something like that for auto key like it's it's honestly like such a lifesaver yeah and I think it come it comes with AutoTune Pro if you buy AutoTune Pro they just give it to you for free so that you know yeah it always amazes me. Like I, I always ask every singer I work with, like, what key is the song in? And I would say like 90% of them don't know what the key yeah, is. Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> so, so yeah, if you're going to be editing vocals, it definitely does help to know how to identify the key or at least have a tool like auto key to, to figure it out and, you know, get you in the right ballpark and make your life easy. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you put auto tune on C chromatic, which is every note, then I mean, the singer's got to be so spot on or it's just going to be putting just any note. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I, I mean, that's the default setting. So I think people just kind yeah. of leave they it just run that, with right? that. Yeah, they just run with that. But that I wouldn't advise that, yeah. 
Yeah, and some people also just get so fixated on like the visual element of it too. So when you're looking at auto tune and the little like correction meter is like swaying back and forth, people are like, "Oh yeah, that it, it's doing work. It's you know, <laughs> it's right." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah, just That's really funny. focusing on the key, I think, is is super important. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. What about um, things like clip gaining? your vocals in general, like we talked about clip gaining breaths, but do you ever find that you're clip gaining different chunks of the vocal performance before you get into mixing or, or at all? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause, uh, if I try to kind of go through the vocal, um, before I like start throwing my plugins on it and stuff, when I, when I load it up to mix, maybe not before I, I mean, you could do it before pitch correction, but I'm either doing it right before pitch correction or I'm doing it right after, before I get into the mixing part, I'm definitely listen, listening to where, if there's a big like jump, like if there's a super loud word compared to the rest, you want it to all, all be kind of even. Um, so that way your compressor is not just, you know, having to do a, a crazy workload. So Yeah. And I also think too, that it has to do with um, not just so that your, your compressor isn't doing a crazy workload, but also it's so that your compressor is reacting properly. Properly. Because, yeah. Because if you have that loud note and then the next one's super quiet, like it, it the compressor's already grabbing that loud one and it's still in the state of compression. So like it can really mm-hmm. mess with like it does you mess that with pumping it. effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then a lot of times too, the loud note will be almost at clipping. So now you have like no headroom. So now you're gonna be, you know, once you boost something on an EQ, now you're clipping. Now you gotta bring that output on the EQ down and like it's it's a lot more uh, stuff you have to do and work around instead of just getting the getting the level at a nice you know midway up the meter or three quarters of the way up i don't like to get too much hotter than that and then that's you know that's it but yeah clip gaining is a great is a great thing um yep. same with like something like vocal uh vocal rider by waves you know putting that before your compression if you're if you're in a rush you know that can kind of you could set that to really duck duck those really loud things too so that's that's a cool tool too I like mm-hmm. to use that it's definitely a really cool tool and i've definitely used that whenever i've been in a pinch to like make a quick mix or something like that you know mm-hmm. kind of throw that on it takes care of all the automation for you but you do have to also be very careful with the tool like that too because it makes sense in in theory that this tool should work and be perfect and get you like that even vocal sound but like you know you have to definitely play with the settings to get it to sound best you do have to play with the settings a lot yeah yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of promise of like it's this magic pill that you put it on and you're, it mixes your track, but like you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same with auto tune right. and all these tools. Really, it's like you gotta you have to know what it's actually intended to do and how it reacts. And and once you know those tools, then then you can control it to do what you want it to do. Yeah, you got to be careful with anything. There's uh, I use Slate Fresh Air a lot, and uh, that's one of those ones to where if you get too happy with it and you just start cranking it, like it it gets way too edgy, you know. Um, but when you use it moderately it's it's such a like nice tool to add to your chain so of course and i guess going back to what we were talking about earlier with clip gaining like if you've clip gain and then you use something like the vocal rider then it's it's working less and it's gonna exactly sound a lot smoother Mm -hmm. for sure so we've talked about recording vocals we've talked about editing them i feel like it talk it makes sense to move on to mixing vocals and talk about some uh some elements that people should be considering when it comes to mixing vocals do you have a typical signal chain that you like to follow when it, when it comes to mixing vocals? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't always just start with an EQ, but sometimes I start with an EQ compressor. Obviously, 
but I've really been getting into, well, not even really recently, but always, I've always been into the wave C4, um, multi-band compression. It's, uh, it does a lot of the work. I mean, sometimes I even use it before a compressor, which a lot of guys say, what wouldn't you use it just after a compressor? But, um, sometimes dialing in that high mid range and getting the mud, you know, in the low mids kind of clamped and, and controlled just, it alleviates a lot of the need for any like heavy compression settings. So sometimes I'll get it, uh, get it sounding good with the C4 first. If it's not a super dynamic vocal, if it's like a really dynamic vocal, yeah, I'm probably going to compress first, like a rock singer, like belt, not a loud note and then quiet in the verses or something like I'm going to probably compress it first. But if it's not super dynamic or if I kind of controlled it, like you said, with with uh, clip gain first. Um, Wave C4 can be a great way to shape it. I think it's just a great vocal shaper. It really just shapes all the different um areas in a vocal like i said almost every vocal has a problem with the low mids and it has a problem with the high mids it's like the two the two really big elephants in the room you know yeah so as far as using the c4 goes because because multi-band compression for a lot of people can be very confusing especially if they're not very comfortable with compression to begin with you know like it yeah it can definitely it can cause more damage than good sometimes what is there like specific frequency ranges that you're typically trying to target or do you just have all of the multi-band compressors going? Cause I know with the C4, you can bypass certain, certain frequency bands. So are you just leaving them all on or, and like just taking care of every, like the entire frequency range or like what, what do your normal settings look like there? I usually start with bypassing some of the things and just, and just focus on each, each band. But yeah, usually between 150 Hertz and like 500 is that just real muddy, chunky area, I like to call it. Just super chunky. It eats up headroom. It makes it sound muffled. It makes it sound uneven. Um, that needs to be controlled the most, I think. And then uh, and then somewhere between, like, 2 and 6K is where you get, like, the really harsh, you know, stuff when you're belting out a note, and it's like, it just kind of makes you, you know, cringe a little bit because it's, like, ear-piercing. So those two sections... I'll try to control and get maybe three dB or something of, of gain reduction in those two areas, uh, mess around with the range a little bit, you know, to make it like, okay, do I want it to be like kind of aggressive or do I want it to be just very light? Um, range can be a quick way to just dial that in that. Uh, and I've been using soothe a lot too. So I use soothe to for, for things, but soothe is kind of, a subtle tool in my opinion. I don't like to use it too too crazy because I've I've noticed real quick that when you get too aggressive with soothe, it, it just it kind of distort creates some distortion or just something that um the artist does not like. And and I heard it too. I it was one one artist I sent it to him. He's like, Man, there's like an effect on my vocal. There's like a distortion. And then I listened back to it on Fresh Ears the next day. I'm like, oh that's soothe, you know. So I'm like, yeah, I, I learned <laughs> from it real quick, you know, when I, when I started using it. So um to be very uh, cautious with Soothe, but it's a great tool as well. Yeah. Are you using the top bands of the multiband compressor as like a de-esser, or is it just more for like the controlling the overall brightness of a vocal? A uh, little bit of both, but yeah, no, I still use a de-esser. I, I don't use it in place of a de-esser, but it's mainly just the uh, the harshness in a vocal. You know, when you bypass it, like when you compress it and then bypass it, you'll just hear it like, oh yeah, it's a little more... 
you know, edgy now, you know, and, and you know, it takes away that edginess and makes the vocal just warmer without just cutting it. Cause you cut it and then it's just gone. You know, um, that's what I like about multi-band compression is it can just vary. You know, you can keep the, you can keep your high mid range, but you know, when it gets out of hand, it tames it for you. Yep. And is there any particular reason why you use multi-band compression instead of like a dynamic EQ? I use dynamic EQ a lot for sure. Um, I think I more or less view. I actually have a video on this on, uh, on YouTube. That's funny. Um, I use wave C4 is kind of more of a shaper, right? So I'm like, it's like wider bands. You're, you're controlling more frequencies. So like when I'm compressing, I'm compressing, like I said, maybe 2k to 6k and I'm just ducking that whole thing. Whereas a dynamic EQ is where I kind of hear a certain resonance, you know, say I hear something like, man, there's just a weird, it's a weird resonance. I hear like maybe around 700 Hertz or something. I'll find it. And then it, I'll do like, it's more of a narrow thing. So that, I mean, but you can do it with it. You could do a wide, a wide cue and, and have a similar result. And there was somebody actually, um, in a group that I was, you know, that I posted and somebody was, had that argument or d- debate with me is like, Hey, you could do the same thing with a dynamic as you, can with a uh, multiband compressor, you just do a wider cue or a shelf or like, and that's true. So I, I honestly use them both, but something about the C4 gets me there so quick, you know, it like gets me, I'd say pretty much 80% the way there with the vocal, how I want it to sound. So taking it from nothing to that, it gets me, it's like a large step forward usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the thing with dynamic EQ is that you can use the filter curves to to really shape the sound that you're that you're trimming, right? It's not it's not just a um you you're not completely just pulling down on a specific frequency range or you're kind of easing in and you've got your center frequency and that kind of thing. So that can make things sound a little bit smoother sometimes, but um but I guess yeah, it depends on what you're trying to really control. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I mean you're going to find singers that maybe have like a lot of mid range to their vocal and you're going to need to tame that whole mid range. So, you know, maybe a bell curve isn't the, the way to go because you want to control that whole frequency range. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I tend to be way more subtle with, with dynamic EQ. Um, um, it's really a transparent way of going about it. I will say, yeah, multiband compressor is less transparent. It's obvious. Like when you take that, that off, it's like, wow, that's a big difference. Whereas a dynamic EQ, at least the way that I use dynamic EQs, um, when you bypass it, it's like that little problem that you're trying to fix. Something that maybe somebody might not even hear. You know, somebody might not hear a little resonance at 400 hertz or something. Somebody might not hear that. But, you know, I use a tool like dynamic EQ to really, like, get those those things that bug me, I guess. Yeah, fair. So you usually start with your dynamic EQ or your uh, multi-band compressor, compressor. Um, and then what's the chain look like after that? Um, after that, so if I did multi-band first, then it's going to be a compressor. I usually like to, I'm pretty simple with compressors. I usually like to use Waves R-Comp. Um, it's a very old plug-in, but it's it's just one of those things that you just trust. And I, I trust Waves R-Comp a lot. Um, or if I'm working on a very aggressive vocal, like you said, like a rock singer or something, I'll... That bring out like a 1176 like everybody does so 1176 for more aggressive waves are comp for a little less aggressive and a lot of the vocals i work on are a little less aggressive you know rappers and mm-hmm. singers that kind of got smoother voice and stuff like that so um a nice clean 
and transparent compression like uh, arc compressor goes a long way. So waves arc compressor. Uh, so the, yeah, I'll use compression. And then after that, I'll usually use soothe. And as far as soothe, I'm just listening for, okay, are there any more problems after I've multiband compressed and compressed? Maybe EQ'd if I did an EQ first. Is there anything else that's that's sticking out? A lot of times there is. So I'll be like, oh yeah, it's still just a little bit on the muddy side. Yeah, I could go back to and and fiddle with with the Wave C4 and stuff. But the way I approach mixing is I just keep moving forward. You know, so like just put another plug in, put another plug in. If I have 10 plugins, it's cool. I, I know what I'm doing with them. I'm not like abusing the signal with them. I'm very lightly touching the, the signal with everything, if that makes sense. So it's like 10 plugins doing a little instead of one plugin doing a lot or two plugins doing a lot. That's kind of how I mix is lots of plugins, very subtle settings. You're kind of doing things in uh, in serial order as opposed to like a parallel thing or. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I go about it. Uh, I use Sooth 2. And then after I kind of correct everything, I kind of listen for is the vocal bright enough? Or is it still sound, is it sounding dull even after EQ, after all that? And then that's usually when I'll bring out something like Slate Fresh Air where it's like an exciter. And I'll just touch it just a little bit because it gets it gets pretty crazy um, if you go too too crazy with it. But um, something like an exciter can can do great. After the exciter, some de-essing. Uh, I like to do a de-esser after the exciter because the exciter will bring out some more de-ess or some more S's. So... Yes, sir. And then after that, I like to make like some aux tracks, you know, to do in parallel, like you said, like a waves doubler. I'll put like a doubler doubling plug in, turn that way down. That just gives the vocal a little bit of width, you know, spreads it to where I something about a vocal just sitting just right dry in the in the center. And it just sounds super duper mono doesn't always it's not something I like. I mean, that's why mixing is like a. It's an art and it's, you know, there's an opinion behind, behind mixing, you know, just like any, any art. But for me, I like the vocal to be a little wide, just a little bit, not nothing crazy to where it's like, geez, there's a chorus plug-in on the vocal. No, but you'd be surprised on just blending like a doubling plug-in with the main, just a little bit, how, like how much it kind of widens things and, and fattens things up. Um, so that's something I like to do. And then reverb and delays is dead last because I, I like to really focus on my tones um, before introducing like reverb, which is just taking, it's just reverberating like whatever's in your chain. So if you got problems in that, now you're creating the mud and, and the problems in the verb. And so I used to do that back in the day. I'd be real quick to have reverb. And then I thought about it. And I'm like, no. Let's get it like sounding really good dry. <laughs> and then we'll just, you know, like seasoning when you're so, when you're cooking. It's like, let's just season, season a little bit at the end of the dish when, okay, yeah, it's just lacking that. Let's just season it a little bit. And that's, that's how I like to do like reverb and delays and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause whatever you're feeding into your effect is just going to amplify that effect or amplify that problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Is there any particular reason why you like putting your de-esser at the end of your chain versus at the beginning of your vocal chain? Cause, cause you could argue maybe that like having a de-esser earlier in the, in the chain could require a little less work on like soothes part or, or your multiband or that kind of thing. Right. Cause if you take care of some of those problematic things right at the beginning, then it creates a cleaner signal for everything else. Right. 
Yeah, I have, you know, I've, I've done that for sure. I don't know. It's just, I, so many times doing it at the end and, and getting a good result. It's probably just one of those things where it could go either way. You know, sometimes I compress first and, and don't EQ. I mean, I, if I like the way the source is, I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's a nice sound and vocal. Sometimes I'll just put a compressor on it first where other times I'm putting an EQ first. And, um, I think it just depends, but yeah, it's a good point. I mean, if, if somebody's S's are out of control, it might be a, a good idea to, to put a de mm-hmm. on first. Yeah. And, but, but also I definitely see a benefit to having a de at the end of your chain too, because it's like any problems that have been accentuated by the compressor and all that other stuff you got in there, you know, it definitely allows you to offer that one last layer of protection and, and smooth it out a little bit more. Right. Yeah. I think it's cause I like exciters, you know, like, like I said, slate fresh air, uh, waves makes the apex vintage, uh, exciter. I like exciters a lot and, uh, they seem to bring S's out of nowhere. So, uh, there won't even be an S there and you'll put the exciter on. And now it's like, Oh, I thought I did something about that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Like your chain definitely covers all the bases there, right? You've taken care of your problems and you've cleaned up the sound. You've, you've highlighted the elements that need to be highlighted. You know, I, I that that's really the, the goal of all of your processing in general. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah. Man. Awesome. Well, dude, this has been great. I, you know, I definitely feel like we've covered a lot for anyone who's like serious about their vocals. Like, and we covered everything here. So, um, you know, but I, I think it's really interesting because it seems to have come up many times throughout this chat that like, there are lots of different ways to do this kind of stuff. And, and whether it's one tool or another, or one placement in your signal chain versus another like you know there's there are multiple ways to do this but at the end at the end of the day it's like i think the biggest thing is just doing it you know and uh and and kind of like you and i were chatting about before we hit record like just so many people don't know or don't think to take these steps when it comes to like editing their vocals and that kind of thing and because of that their vocals sound weak and they're like why do my vocals suck well, you probably didn't like yeah. spend the time editing your tracks, you know, and like, you know, it's like, yep. why are my vocals sloppy? Well, because you didn't time align things, you know, or or you didn't align yep. your pitches. So now you're hearing like four vocals doing different things at different times. And it's like, you know, it's it's these things that are like those it, it's there's such important steps in the process that people neglect. And it's not just a matter of recording a great vocal and being done. It's pretty rare, especially in these days. And like with the quality that people are used to hearing in their vocals uh, or in songs just on the radio or whatever, right? Like there's everything that's out there that's like commercial has gone through this process of being recorded properly, edited properly and mixed properly. And you have to have all three of those. You can't skip any stage there. Uh, Otherwise you're going to, your vocals are going to suffer. So, um, so yeah, man, John, it's been great to chat with you about this stuff and to really cover the basis because I think it's given people a lot to go off of. For sure, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a great conversation, man. Some some great some great things we went over today, for sure. For sure. If people want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you know, honestly, check it out on YouTube, uh Perfect Vocals Academy. Uh on YouTube, you can go to perfectvocalsacademy.com and learn more about my online course and the coaching that I just started. The coaching I'm doing is basically, it's like a three-month thing, one session per per week, so 12 weeks, one hour a week. And it's just a place to where, I think it, my coaching is more for somebody that's, you know, 
been doing it. They've been mixing. They're 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 really trying to get their mixes right, but they're just kind of like just not there yet. Um, the coaching is where we can get together on a Zoom with, and I use audio movers to hear like the high quality and stuff. So we sit together and I just kind of tweak and and try to alleviate those roadblocks that that you're getting with your mixes. So it's a very hands on approach. Whereas my my course is for somebody that just like maybe doesn't know a ton about engineering but wants to get into it and. Um, I cover everything from the basics into the advanced with the course too. So all it, yeah, perfectvocalsacademy.com. You can find it all. Perfect. Right on, man. Well, thanks again for being on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So that was my interview with John Burke, and I really enjoyed that conversation. I thought it was really great to hear how he approaches vocal editing. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting from that is the fact that there are just so many different ways to solve the same problems. And so many different tools, right? So, you know, we talked about things like Melodyne versus Autotune or uh, timing versus tuning and those kind of things that often people will debate, you know, what's the best way to do it? And I think that the thing that you need to take away from this is that no matter what tools you use or what order you do things in, it's all about your intent throughout the entire process. You don't just want to do things for the sake of doing things. You have to understand why are you doing it this way and ask yourself that, you know, and this applies to vocals. This applies to any sort of editing or mixing. You know, why are you using the tools the way you are? Are you doing them because you learn that that's just something you're supposed to do? Or are you actually analyzing what is happening in your signal chain? Because I think once you actually start focusing on what is happening in your signal chain, It then impacts the choices you make moving forward. It tells you, you know, how your tools are interacting with each other or why you might want something before or after another thing. So, you know, I just really enjoyed this conversation because I think it highlighted the fact that there's so many different ways to do this, but it's just a matter of really analyzing your process to understand why you might do one thing one way versus another. So, yeah, I just thought that was a really fun conversation. Lots of cool stuff here. We covered a lot of ground as far as the recording, editing, and vocal side of things. And I think if you have ever struggled to get your vocals to sound clear and you're not sure about why that's happening, I think that you should have been able to walk away with a lot of great takeaways from this interview to help you with getting great results. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you got a lot of great value out of it. And if you did enjoy this conversation, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning so that you can learn even more of this stuff. And also make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is a website where I help out musicians with creating pro sounding recordings in their home studios. And whether you're working with drums, guitar, bass, vocals, anything rock-based, I'm here to help. And on the website, I've got a ton of great resources designed to help make this process easy for you. And one thing that I definitely want to point your attention to is my book called The Mixing Mindset. That is a great starting point if you're new to mixing or even if you've been at this for a while, but you're still not quite as fast as you want to be or you're not quite as confident as you feel like you should be. This book is definitely going to give you a step-by-step process for analyzing your tracks, understanding the tools, knowing how to dial in your settings, and feeling confident at every stage of the way. So make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com and check out The Mixing Mindset. All right, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end. I had a lot of fun, and I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. Take care. Better. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.